five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside You. I'm your host, Xavier Audic, and we are back after a huge, huge, huge weekend of college football. So as per usual, let's get right to it with I was right and I was wrong. I was right that Miami would defeat UNC. Anytime your team scores three defensive touchdowns, it's going to be very hard for them to lose the game. I was wrong that Memphis was going to beat Tulane. Memphis certainly had their moments. It was close for a while, but when Tulane pulled away, they certainly pulled away. Memphis now takes a step back. They're 0-2 in the American Athletic Conference. Remember, this is a team that many people picked to win their side of the American Athletic Conference right now, and they will certainly have an uphill climb to try and do that. I was right that West Virginia would win, would defeat Texas Tech. This game was noted for, among other reasons, there being a wedding at halftime. Will Greer continues his Heisman Trophy campaign. Certainly, West Virginia's defense allowed Texas Tech back into the game late in the game. But the big story there was that Texas Tech quarterback Alan Bowman suffered a collapsed lung, which resulted in him missing the entire second half of the game. And Texas Tech suffers another loss. Tough break for Cliff Kingsbury's team. They're already without starting quarterback McLean Carter, who's coming back from an ankle injury, which means after their bye weekend this week, the hopes of the Texas Tech offense could certainly all be on jet duty. So that moves us along to Boston College. I was wrong that they would lose to Temple. A.J. Dillon looked phenomenal at 161 yards rushing, two touchdowns, another step forward for the Eagles who now look like the team that they should be and many picked to finish second in the ACC on their side. That moves us along to Syracuse losing to Clemson. The big story here obviously being Trevor Lawrence suffering a concussion, which resulted in Chase Bryce finishing off the game for the Tigers. With Bryce under center, the Tigers decided to go with a run-first offense and appeared to work out in their favor as they ultimately got the job done thanks in part to a huge fourth and six catch by Travis Etienne. Now the story becomes what happens with Kelly Bryant. Remember, Bryant left the team last week after it was announced that he was no longer the starter. And I just want to take a moment to talk about this and say that a lot of people had praised Clemson for their handling of this quarterback controversy. But in the aftermath of the game on Saturday, Clemson head coach Dabo Sweeney let it slip that he, in fact, was unaware if Kelly Bryant was still even enrolled at Clemson. So I think that shows that there was a lot bigger divide here than many people suspected. I don't think Kelly Bryant's coming back, but it should be interesting to see what happens going forward. This weekend, Clemson takes on Wake Forest at Wake Forest. Good chance that Trace Bryce is the starter there. Should be interesting to see what happens. Then I was wrong that Duke was going to beat Virginia Tech. Even with Daniel Jones' return, it did not make a difference as backup Ryan Willis filling in for injured starting quarterback Josh Jackson threw for 332 yards and three touchdowns, a huge win for a Virginia Tech team that was railing from that loss to Old Dominion a couple weeks ago. Then we had, I was right that NC State would beat Virginia. Certainly Virginia starting to look better, but it should be interesting to see what this NC State team does this coming weekend when we have a matchup between fringe uh, Heisman Trophy contenders, Jake Benley continues to look good, but we'll have to see what happens when he takes a step up in competition this weekend. Then I was wrong that Cal would defeat Oregon. Justin Herbert continues to show why he might be the most NFL-ready quarterback in college football right now. Huge game for the Ducks offense. 
important win for them coming off for that heartbreaking overtime loss to Stanford a week ago. And now the North is certainly anyone's team, anyone's, excuse me, anyone's division right now. Certainly Washington still looks like the favorite after that big win they had over BYU this weekend. They were phenomenal on both sides. Jake Browning looked like a superstar. The defense was great. But that Pac-12 North race is still very interesting. Certainly right now I would give Stanford the edge, but it could be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out. Then I was right that Oregon would defeat Baylor. Kyler Murray did not start the game. He was pulled for the full series after missing practice Friday morning. He was late to practice after incorrectly setting his alarm. However, that did not stop Murray as he accounted for seven touchdowns, six passing, one rushing, in a huge offensive performance as he continues to make a name for himself in the Heisman Trophy race. Then I was wrong that Stanford would defeat Notre Dame. Big story here being Ian Book, four touchdowns against a decent Stanford defense. However, unfortunately for the Cardinals, not only did they lose the game, but Bryce Love re-injured his ankle that he hurt last season. Certainly not the way things are going for Love. Entered the season as many people's Heisman Trophy favorite. However, not only has his performances in games not been very impressive, but he missed the UC Davis game with one injury. Now he's injured again, and it's just looking like love season. Hopes of a Heisman Trophy are continuing to diminish day by day. Then I was right that Purdue would defeat Nebraska. Certainly not the start that people thought Scott Frost would have after the game, showing his frustration in a rant basically saying that the team needed to up their standards, that they needed to be sick and tired of the penalties and demand more from themselves. Uh, A little bit of a cause for concern for Frost to take this emotional response so early. Yes, I know he has a lot he's dealing with. He has the expectations of entire state riding on him and his efforts. But remember, he's four games into this season. He'd be a lot worse if they were 0-5 right now following a loss to Akron to open their season. Uh, and just, I think, like I've said before, this season in many ways is kind of a punted season anyway. Uh, Frost, I think needs to kind of take some time to reevaluate things, take a step back and just look to move forward. Uh, also it's not going to get any easier for Wisconsin going forward. They still have to play Wisconsin and Ohio state. So for him to be this frustrated this early, I can only imagine what it's going to look like moving forward, but The Huskers will certainly get a win this season. It might come against Bethune-Cookman, but they will finish the season with a couple of wins. Then I was wrong that Ole Miss would defeat LSU. Joe Burrow impressed as he not only showed what he could do with his arm, but also his feet. A couple of very nice scurries in this game. Tigers are certainly looking like possibly Alabama's biggest threat in that SEC West. However, we're going to learn a lot more of them about them this weekend. Then I was right that Kentucky would defeat South Carolina. This sets up a huge showdown this weekend against Texas A&M for the Wildcats. Benny Snell continues his Heisman Trophy campaign, only accounted for 99 yards in this game, but still got the job done. And at 5-0, the Wildcats are sitting pretty in the SEC East right now. Then I was wrong that Buffalo would defeat Army, a very impressive win for Army, even with Tyree Jackson throwing for over 100 yards. Still, Army got the job done. Certainly corralling one of the most high-powered group of five offenses, a big win for the Knights. Then I was right that Washington would defeat BYU. However, with Stanford's loss to Notre Dame and Washington's early season loss to Auburn, I have to wonder if the Pac-12 may have eliminated itself from the college football playoff. 
Remember, Stanford probably had the best shot of making it as a Pac-12 team, provided they won their conference with this victory over Notre Dame. But with Notre Dame's victory and with Washington's loss to Auburn early on, even with a victory over a BYU team that has an upset over Wisconsin, I think the Pac-12's chokes of making the playoff are decimated for a second year in a row. Then I was right that Ohio State would defeat Penn State. Penn State blew a 12-point fourth quarter lead. Certainly not what James Franklin wanted from his team. After the game, he had a rant about how they had gone from a good team to a great team and they had lost to an elite team and they weren't an elite team yet. Be that as it may, the reality is the Nittany Lions did not get the job done. I will talk about that fourth down play card that saw Miles Sanders try and run for five yards on a fourth and five. I did not like it, but I will get back to that in a few minutes. And then finishing it up, I was right that East Carolina would defeat Old Dominion. Scotty Montgomery continues to stave off his walking papers for another week. I was right that Nevada would defeat Air Force. Jay Norvell continuing to show improvement there. And then I was right that Fresno State would delete Toledo. Fresno State looking like the biggest challengers to the Boise State right now in the Mountain West. So that moves us along to the top stories. Already talked about it, but Trevor Lawrence's concussion. As of today, there hasn't been an update. After the game, Dabo Sweeney said basically that Lawrence was looking good and that he thought he'd be back sooner rather than later. Certainly with the loss of Kelly Bryant, this makes depth a an issue for the Tigers at quarterback. However, they still have Chase Bryce filling in for Lawrence at the beginning, and they face Wake Forest this week, but then go into their bye week. I think it will not be a big issue long-term, but this just kind of further emphasizes what the loss of Kelly Bryant meant to this team. I also thought Bryant's leaving would cause issues, which I think we saw early on, and that he had a serious, important leadership role with the team. However, at the end of the day, this is the result of what we're seeing with this new transfer rule where guys like Bryant or Jalen McCleskey or Nance at Arkansas have said, I don't like where I'm being used here or I don't like the scenery. I'm going to take my talent somewhere else. After the game, many of the coaches for Clemson tried to paint it as this kind of, he should have stayed and worked for it and fought against the adversity. I don't believe it. I'm sorry. This is a guy who not only won the ACC last year, but took the Tigers to a playoff. While Trevor Lawrence certainly was giving him his effort, I don't think Bryant had done anything to really lose that starting job. And I think the lack of communication was ultimately what probably made Bryant the most angry. Remember, like I said earlier, Dabo Sweeney let it slip that he was unaware if Bryant was still even enrolled at Clemson. So I think that's the end of Kelly Bryant for his Clemson days. Some people have said, well, should the Tiger staff reach out to him and see if he wants to come back? What, for one game? I don't think he's going to risk burning a year of eligibility for that. Remember, Bryant's a senior, so this is his last year of eligibility. Does he want to waste it as a backup to Trevor Lawrence long-term? I don't think so. That moves us along to Notre Dame. Certainly after that big win over Stanford and the opening season victory over Michigan, Notre Dame is in control of its destiny when it comes to the college football playoff. The big story here being replacing starter Brandon Wimbish with Ian Book. Book showing what he could do with his arm. A very impressive first game showing. However, when it comes to, oh, Notre Dame's now going to go undefeated or 11-1 and to make the playoff, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. Remember, Notre Dame still has games against Navy in San Diego, against a very good Syracuse team and at USC. 
And I think at some point we will still see them lose a game and what impact that will have on their playoff hopes certainly depends on what this Stanford team does going forward, what the Michigan team does going forward and how the, the team they're losing, they lose to does look at the time. But with that being said, if the playoff were to happen today, I think they've done enough to get themselves into the playoff and coming up in just a bit, I will give you my playoff four as of today. That moves us along to this Penn State play call that everyone's mad about. First off, if you missed it, on fourth and five, which which would have been the game-winning drive, rather than throw the ball or use some type of bootleg or some type of rollout play, instead Penn State opted for a Miles Sanders run up the middle. Ohio State countered with an inside twist, which resulted in the play being stopped two yards blind the round of scrimmage and Ohio State effectively winning the game. Here's the reason I don't like it. You have Trace McSorley, who's one of the best mobile quarterbacks in all of college football. And rather than give him the ball and let him do something, make a play with his arm or with his feet, you're putting it all on your offensive line, which up until that night certainly had not done a great job. They'd been okay, but not great. I don't know why you would risk all of that on that play. Yes, there's certainly some second guessing here but i think if they had given mcstorley an option to make a play he would have either been able to find make a play with his arm or do something with his feet and gotten that first down whether they would have been able to ultimately pull off the victory we'll never know but i don't like the play call to me it seemed like something you'd rather call on fourth and one or fourth and two not fourth and five so that's just my opinion moving on from there Probably the biggest story right now in all of college football, which is, if you missed it, Jimbo Fisher, out of frustration, grabbed Tyrell Dodson by his face mask in their victory over Arkansas to get his attention after he didn't like the way Dodson was acting. Dodson involved it in a lot of pushing and shoving. This was when the game was still relatively close against Arkansas, and Jimbo Fisher feared that if Dodson kept up, he would be thrown out of the game. Since that happened, the Clip has gone viral. Many NFL former college players have weighed in on it. I certainly don't agree with the action of what he did, but I agree overall with the message. I think across the board, the pushing and shoving in between plays in college football has gotten a little bit out of hand recently. I think officials need to do a better job of ending that kind of in-between plays or post-play conjecture on both sides. However, I also think that as Bad as what Fisher did might have looked like. It wasn't necessarily by any means the worst thing we've ever seen a coach do to get a player's attention. Tyrell Dotson after the game tweeted that he certainly had no issue with it. And I think what we're really seeing is that this is a Texas A&M team that really believes in Fisher and his coaching staff. This is kind of the second red flag. The first being after former Texas A&M wide receiver, excuse me, former Texas A&M tight end, Looking up his name real quick. Uh, excuse me. Oh, uh, excuse me. Former Texas A&M tight end Santo Marichal transferred from Texas A&M to Arizona. When he transferred, he sought a hardship waiver from the NCAA. As part of that hardship waiver, he alleged recruiting violations by the Texas A&M staff. Immediately, Texas A&M players came to Fisher and his staff's defense, saying that they were teaching them to do things the right way, to do things correctly, and that they didn't believe it for any minute. So 
while this may cause a bit of a black eye on Fisher for a couple of minutes, I don't think it'll be an issue long-term. And I think, like I said, what we're really seeing, which is the most important thing, is this is that a team that believes in Jimbo Fisher and what he's doing, and that should be a good thing if you're a Texas A&M fan. And then the last thing, a bit of a somber note, when I this last weekend I watched the Vanderbilt-Tennessee State game, a very fun game, close game than many expected. Tennessee State's offense kept it interesting until literally the final minute. Unfortunately, during the game, Tennessee State linebacker Christian Abercrombie collapsed. He was rushed to Vanderbilt Medical Center and is currently undergoing medical tests as he appears to be fighting for his life. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Christian Abercrombie and his family. Certainly a very tragic thing that you never want to see, especially when it happens to somebody so young. Abercrombie had previously transferred from Illinois to Tennessee State. He was the team's leading tackler, and you just don't want to see something like this. So our thoughts and prayers with Abercrombie and his family, hopefully for a quick and speedy recovery and that he is back on his feet in no time. So that moves us along to now that we're in bye weeks, teams may start considering making coaching changes. So I just want to give a few coaches who I think could be on the hot seat. First and foremost, Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech. Johnson entering his 11th season, coming off a 5-6 and six season in 2017. The Yellow Jackets have a Friday night matchup at Louisville this weekend. Should be very interesting to see what this means for Johnson's immediate future. In the offseason, Johnson brought in a new defensive coordinator, Woody Johnson from Appalachian State. However, they've already suffered a rough loss to South Florida. And this game's coming up right before they face Duke and then have their bye week. Also, many people are have already kind of rumored that Johnson might be in the twilight of his time at Georgia Tech. So it should be interesting to see what the impact of this game has on Johnson's immediate future. Now, the reason why Georgia Tech might not do that is because of his longevity at the school. Like I said, 11 seasons is a very long time for anyone. And out of respect for him and kind of a Frank Beamer-esque style, the Yellow Jackets might wait until the end of the season until announcing a formal coaching change. The next coach who I think could be receiving his walking papers very soon is Bobby Petrino. He's entering his fifth season as coach of Louisville, coming off an 8-5 and five season in 2017, where I think many people believe the Cardinals underperformed with the return of Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Lamar Jackson. They're placing, like I said, Georgia Tech this weekend on a short week, and then they are at Boston College. And the big concern has been that the offense for the Cardinals has struggled. Petrino, remember, is known for his innovative and offensive creating abilities. And when your offense is not performing and that's what you're known for, that's certainly not a good thing. Also, Petrino's received some heat for the fact that three out of the 10 coaches, assistant coaches on his roster, two of them are his sons and one of them is his son-in-law so that's certainly not a good thing and this is why i don't think necessarily louisville will be so quick to replace him is that who do you replace him with if you replace him with one of his own progeny that might not go over too well and with that being said though i also think that when you talk about making a move at louisville you have to consider chris brahm brahm the head coach at purdue He's already gone on record stating that Louisville would be a dream job for him. He's from the area. He has family that's in the area. Ultimately, to start the season, it was not looking good for that happening sooner rather than later. Brahms' team started the season out underperforming. 
but they're now on a two-game winning streak. They had a big win over Nebraska this last weekend, and as much the more Purdue wins, the more it's going to continue to magnify and put pressure on Petrino and his job. So should be interesting to see what happens there. Like I meant, said earlier, Louisville and Georgia Tech square off this Friday, and I think that game will have major implications for whether these coaches remain with their schools long-term. Next guy on the list, no surprise either, Larry Fedora at UNC. Fedora enters his seventh season, coming off a 3-9 and nine season in 2017. They're currently 1-3, but would probably be 1-4 because their game against the University of Central Florida was canceled due to Hurricane Florence. They're heading into their bye week before hosting a renewed and reinvigorated Virginia Tech team. Also remember that Fedora received a lot of heat in the summer for his kind of questioning the connection between concussions and CTE. So already there's some bad publicity there. However, why I don't think UNC will make the move is because they don't, I don't, I just don't know if they have the interest really to care about the football team right now. And it's, and making and the result of what a middle season change would look like. I think realistically they allow Fedora to finish out the season and then they move along quietly in the off season. And then finally, Oh, excuse me, not finally uh, next being Derek Mason at Vanderbilt. Mason's entering his fifth season coming off a five and seven season in 2017. They're three and two, but look like in many cases they could have been one and two and three Definitely Tennessee State had their moments this last weekend. However, now they enter a very difficult stretch, which sees them play Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, and Arkansas. One reason why, though, I don't think Vanderbilt will look to make the move is because their bye week doesn't come until the last season of October. At that point, you're in November, and do you really want to make a move with only one month left in the season? Then, an always popular name, David Beatty at Kansas. He's entering his fourth season coming off a 1-11 and season in 2017. They're currently 2-3, and three, but they had that embarrassing loss to Nichols State to start the season. They've got a big game coming up against West Virginia, and then they head into their bye week. Similar to Larry Fedora at UNC, I have to wonder if Kansas really cares enough to make a midseason coaching change. Remember, similar to UNC, it's a basketball first school, and the football program is kind of an afterthought. And then finally... Cliff Kingsbury, he's entering his sixth season, coming off a six and seven season in 2017. They're currently three and two, but they got embarrassed by West Virginia this last weekend. They're on their bye week. However, what will probably keep him from being fired midseason is that he appears to have done just enough to keep his job. They did have a big win over Houston. How and both starting quarterback McLean Carter and his backup Alan Bowman are hurt at the moment. So all that together tells me that Kingsbury probably stays in his job just a little while longer. Moving on now, I want to give my college football playoff four if the season were to end today. My four, I want I want to emphasize that I place a big premium on who you play, not the name on your shirt. For that reason, I have Ohio State ranked first. They have a big road win over TCU in Arlington, as well as a big road win over Penn State. Their offenses look phenomenal. Dwayne Haskins is a Heisman Trophy candidate, and their defense, even without Nick Bosa, has continued to impress. Those two big road wins are why I have them in first place. The adversity of not having 
Urban Meyer for the first three games of the season, I think makes them even more dangerous. And now that Meyer is back and with the rest of their schedule looking as it is, I think we see the Buckeyes go undefeated. Next, then I have Notre Dame at number two. Similar to my reasoning with Ohio State, they had a big opening season victory over a Michigan team. They made a Michigan offense that has since appeared to have found a footing look listless. And then this last weekend, they were able to stifle a very good Stanford team. For that reason, even with those two games being home games, because of them being difficult teams that they were played against, I have Notre Dame at two. However, until they face a truly elite team on the road, which won't come until USC in the end of the season, to finish out the season, I don't think we'll really know what we have with this Irish team. Then at three, I've got Texas, excuse me, I've got Clemson. Clemson, remember, had that huge road win over a very good Texas A&M team. They've dealt with the adversity of having a change of quarterbacks, even with Trevor Lawrence having been knocked out of the second half of this game this past weekend. Chase Bryce was able to come in and get the job done. And with the rest of the ACC looking as bad as it is, it's very likely that they finish undefeated. And then at four, I have Alabama. One of my big gripes right now is the overranking. I believe that the that Nick Saban's team has received just because of the fact that their name is Alabama. Nick Saban's their coach, and they play in the SEC. Their one big game, win right now is a neutral site game over Louisville in Orlando. Since that game, like I said, Louisville is 2-3. and three. And really, the only big game victories for Alabama have come in conference. One of the things that really concerns me right now is that I'm already seeing playoff predictors that have two SEC teams, Ohio State and Clemson. That bothers me because I think before we even get to having more than one team representative from a conference, the other conference's champions have to essentially eliminate themselves. So far right now, in the Big 12, you have an undefeated Oklahoma who's playing Texas this weekend, which has a nice victory over USC. You've got an undefeated West Virginia team, which just ran roughshod over a Tennessee defense. Then in the ACC, you've got Clemson, which, like I said, has that big victory over Texas A&M. And at the end of the day, I don't think that that's eliminated either of those conferences. And Washington, certainly with their close loss to a very good Auburn team, depending on how the Auburn season plays out, could be in the conversation at the very least. And so for that reason, mathematically, I don't think it makes sense to essentially reward the SEC with two teams from their conference. Looking at Georgia's schedule, their only big win right now is a road victory over South Carolina. South Carolina just lost to Kentucky this last weekend. Then, And for that reason, I don't think they've certainly done enough yet. If you're going to try and just give it to them because they come out of the SEC, that really does nothing to make fans less wary of the rumored SEC bias. And like I said already, when you get to even talking about Notre Dame entering the playoff picture, you're saying that one conference champion is out. Excuse me. Two conference champions are out from the Power Five. For you then to say uh, Notre Dame and two teams from the SEC, now you're effectively eliminating three conferences. That, to me, just doesn't do it, especially this early in the season. So, like I said, I've got Ohio State first. 
then Notre Dame, then Clemson, and then Alabama at fourth. Um, but it should be interesting to see how the rest of this season plays out. Certainly, we're going to learn a lot this weekend when Oklahoma and Texas play each other in the Red River Sh- Red River Classic, Red River Showdown. Should be interesting to see how that game comes out, as it will certainly have playoff implications for the Big 12. So that moves us along to previewing this weekend's games. Starts off Friday night with Georgia Tech at Louisville. Georgia Tech is favored by four points right now. I believe in Louisville pulling off the upset. Georgia Tech's offense has not impressed me. They've also struggled particularly against teams that can throw the ball. While Louisville's offense has struggled, I think we're going to see Juwan Pass do just enough to get the job done. A home game for the Cardinals on a Friday night. I think they are able to pull it off. And similar to many teams, Bobby Petrino let it be known that he and defensive coordinator Brian Van Gorder were preparing for the triple option that Georgia Tech likes to run early on in the spring ball. And I think that that will go their way and they will manage to get the job done. Then we've got Texas taking on Oklahoma in the Red River Classic Showdown. Oklahoma right now is favored by eight points. This game is notable because this is the first top 20 matchup between these two teams since 2012. That just shows you how bad Texas has been for so long. However, when we're looking at this game, what we know for a fact is that Oklahoma's offense can score. And while Texas has shown that they can score, they haven't been able to show that they can score at the level that Oklahoma has. Also, Texas's defense doesn't make me think that they can stop the Sooners from, especially after they put up 66 points against Baylor this last weekend. And I think we see Oklahoma ultimately pull away here. Could very well be 35-28, 35-27. But at the end of the day, Texas has not proven that they can score at the same level that Oklahoma has. But this should still be a fun game. I think Sam Ellinger could certainly have another good performance ahead of him. But even with the loss here, Texas, I think, is on the right track. And that's what really matters. Then, like I said, Clemson traveling to Wake Forest. The big question here being whether Trevor Lawrence will play. However, without Trevor Lawrence, I think just if the Tigers ran the ball on every single down, they'd be able to come away here just because of their overmatching talent. Remember, Wake Forest has already departed with its defensive coordinator after they got blown out by Notre Dame. And I think Clemson gets the job done here, even if it's an ugly, gritty game. Then we've got LSU traveling to Florida. LSU right now favored by three. And Joe Burrow has continued to show and impress. He had not only some big plays with his arm, but some even bigger plays with his feet last weekend against Ole Miss. The Tigers right now are undefeated. And I think LSU gets the job done here. Regardless of how Burrow plays, remember Florida's defense was gassed for 175 yards by Kentucky running back Benny Snell. I think Brosett runs a little bit angrier and is a little bit bigger than Snell, a little bit more difficult to take down. And between him and Burrow, They get the job done, especially with the question mark that is the Florida Gators offense and starting quarterback Felipe Franks. Then we've got Kentucky taking on Texas A&M. This is Kentucky's first road game of the season. A&M favored by six right now. I've struggled on this one. Certainly could go either way. But at the end of the day, I have to take A&M here solely because as good as Terry Wilson has been so far, he's been essentially a game manager If it gets into a throwing match, I don't know if you can count on him, but my heart will certainly be with the Wildcats as I hope they go to 6-0. But I've got A&M winning there. Then we've got Auburn traveling to Mississippi State. 
Certainly Joe Moorhead and Nick Fitzgerald are rubbing their heads right now. They are not looking like anything like the team that some picked to win the SEC West this offseason. Auburn right now favored by four. I think Jared Stidham and the Tigers get this done. Like I said, Mississippi State's offense has looked listless these last few weekends. Their defensive line, which is hallmarked by two preseason All-SEC players, has not looked any better. And I think we see the Tigers get the job done. Then we've got Nebraska traveling to Wisconsin. Wisconsin favored by 23 and a half points. I don't know if that's in that that's that's quite high for me. I don't know if Wisconsin will be able to pull away that far, but certainly the Badgers should get the job done here. Nebraska most likely going to suffer another loss. But like I said, you might want to take the under because that just seems like a lot of points for me, especially when you consider the expectations of what could be this Badgers offense entering the season and what they've looked like previously. Then We've got Notre Dame traveling to Virginia Tech. Notre Dame favored by five and a half. I think that with Ian Book and with his throwing ability and with how bad Virginia Tech's secondaries look at times, remember they were just completely decimated by Blake Caruso, Old Dominion's backup quarterback not two weeks ago. Notre Dame gets the job done here. Certainly, though, a big game in that this is a road game for Notre Dame. Virginia Tech, even as bad as they've looked, had a big win over Florida State early on. They were ranked up until two weekends ago, and a win here would only improve the Irish's chances of making the playoff. And then finally, in a matchup of fringe Heisman Trophy contenders, we have Boston College traveling to NC State. NC State right now, even with Jake Bentley and what he's been able to do, is excuse me, with Ryan Finley and what he's been able to do is a bit of a question mark. I think we would have learned a lot more about this Wolfpack team had their game against West Virginia not been canceled due to Hurricane Florence. Boston College, on the other hand, certainly they did not look great in that loss to Purdue. But in that game, Eagles quarterback Anthony Brown looked about as bad as you possibly can, throwing four interceptions, which ultimately allowed Purdue to get the job done. In this game, though, I think between the Eagles – running ability, and the fact that I don't think the Wolfpack defense is as bad, is as good as Purdue's. The Wolfpack lost a lot on that defensive line last season. I think Boston College pulls off the upset here and gets the job done. So that's it for me today, guys. I will be back on Wednesday for Group of Five Wednesday, at which time I will give you my updated Heisman Trophy lineup. Also, I'll give you an update on the top stories in college football, and I'll preview the top group of five games. So you guys have a good one. Happy Monday. Let's get this week started off right, and I will see you soon. Bye.